This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Well, this sucks. One thing when I was doing my research about Mystery Ranch, uh, you know, I, I kind of discovered a few things that I was unaware about. Uh, one was that, you know, Mystery Ranch, it started out producing military, uh, like a military line of products. And another thing was that all product designers, they start out on the on the sewing floor. Uh, I kind of want to touch on a bit of uh, both of those. But uh, first, I was hoping maybe you can just start out by by telling us, you know, a little bit about yourself, um, you know, who you are and, and kind of what your current role is with Mystery Ranch. Sure. Um, yeah, my name is Alex Rich. I'm a product designer at Mystery Ranch. Um, my primary focus is hunting. I do a little bit of work um, on the outdoor line as well, which includes, you know, technical packs, backpacking stuff. Um, you know, it also includes like some everyday carry items as well. And I guess in the past, I also worked a little bit on uh, military and on some wildland firefighting stuff. But as we've grown, um, we've kind of gotten a little bit more specialized in um, kind of what what sectors of the business that we work on. So now my primary focus is on hunting. Um, I've worked at Mr. Ranch for, boy, almost a decade now. Um, you know, and I think that's kind of a testament to like what kind of company Mr. Ranch is. Um, you know, it's, it's got a really cool culture. We've got, you know, really awesome product that we, you know, stand behind. Um, you know, and then the markets that we work in, we all, you know, either recreate in or believe in wholeheartedly, um, you know, being like wildland firefighters or military personnel, like, yeah, we're, we're probably not, um, you know, active duty or, you know, really fighting fires or anything like that. But, um, you know, we recognize that the, the user base there is super important to us. Um, you know, we want to make sure that those guys get the best gear that they've got. The uh, the founder of Mystery Ranch, uh, Dana Gleason, from my understanding, he's been making packs and, uh, you know, I, I don't want to age Dana here, but uh, let's just say a long time. 
now when I first started looking into the mystery ranch packs, um, you know, I, I kind of had this misinterpretation of, of who your market consumer was. Um, you know, I later on, obviously I found out that uh, you guys did start making packs uh, for the military. Um, can you talk about sort of when, um, maybe just about the genesis of, of mystery ranch and kind of like how that stemmed into making, you know, getting into more specific line of hunting? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it's kind of interesting that you say that because I do, I do feel like sometimes that, uh, the markets that we work in, um, don't really understand that, you know, either our history or the, the fact that we work in all these other markets, you know, like you said that your primary focus is on hunting, but you know, we do a lot of work in outdoor and military, um, and wildland firefighting. And, you know, those other markets also don't recognize that like we do hunting products as well. So, um, it's kind of interesting. Um, in that regard. Yeah. Like he, like you said, mystery ranch, uh, well, the founder of mystery ranch, Danny Gleason. Yeah. He's been building packs for, for a while. Um, I think I'm trying to remember exactly. Um, he's, he did, he started building products in the seventies. Um, and then, you know, his first few companies really, you know, kind of hit their stride, um, kind of into the eighties and nineties. Um, the most notable, uh, being Dana designs, um, which, you know, some folks that, you know, are in the backpacking realm, um, in the nineties would definitely recognize that name. Um, he sold that company and then, you know, a few years later, you know, he got into, um, some discussions with some guys, um, special operations guys that, you know, had been using Dana design packs for, um, some of the stuff that they were doing and, you know, the, the newer product after he sold wasn't exactly kind of up to the same par that, um, you know, the packs were when he was building them. Um, so they kind of, kind of pulled him back into, um, building packs. And that was kind of the generation, the genesis of mystery ranch. Um, you know, but you know, a lot of the emphasis, um, there was more on the military side of things, um, you know, versus getting into, um, the recreational or the hunting like we are now. Um, you know, and, and with the military, like there's, there's a huge need and especially in the modern military, like those guys carry crazy amounts of gear, um, which has kind of ended up being a mantra for us as far as like building the, the best and most durable load, load bearing gear in the world. Um, you know, and it was kind of based off that, that foundation of needing to provide really durable, um, really strong load bearing gear for the military. Uh, well, they, I mean, both military use and hunting use, they kind of, you know, they kind of are, are based on the same premise where just maybe, you know, like military use, you might start out heavy and end up a little lighter. Whereas hunting, I mean, hopefully if you're lucky, you're starting out not too heavy, but you're coming out heavy. Yeah. And the interesting thing too, was a lot of the work that we were doing on the military side of things actually ended up pushing kind of the hunting development as it came to be. And this was before my tenure at mystery ranch. Um, but some of the guys, you know, they were developing products for, um, certain use cases in the military ammo cases or, um, EOD robots, or, you know, some kind of more specialized stuff. Um, so we were building some really, really interesting and specific equipment for carrying that, those items. Um, and some guys internally were like, well, that'd be perfect for carrying elk quarter. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Cause I mean, like now you, you see the industry where it is now and, I mean, even in the last two years, man, it's changed significantly. 
just with you know you know what the requirements of hunters are competition you know construction material all that kind of stuff you know it's just uh, it's come leaps and bounds and it just seems to be ever evolving yeah so, certainly and one of the interesting things you know talking about hunting um specifically well and kind of the military influence there is a lot of our um kind of upstart and r&d type stuff came from some pretty obscure militaries um you know so we were kind of adapting military products to kind of satisfy the needs of the hunter um but now that we've kind of grown up and evolved a little bit you know in that hunting space that's actually kind of then become the tip of the spear and a lot of the military guys are kind of keying in on what we're doing on the hunting side of things because hunters are so um so rabid about their gear and yeah. so hyper specific about what they're looking for in their gear um right. you know and there's there's kind of an interesting conversation that happens back and forth between military product and influencing hunting gear and then hunting gear influencing military product um you know so it's been really cool to like see that transition and see that that conversation back and forth yeah yeah for sure that was kind of one of my questions for you too and but i can see that as you know you know the military pack and the hunting pack and one you know one consumer using it and and kind of how that ties into into the other use for the other consumer and kind of vice versa so that's pretty cool so in your 10 years you've been working you've been there for 10 years you've been in product development for how long um boy i want to say trying to think back now um like probably eight years eight years so um, eight eight and a half years um you kind of touched on it earlier um the majority of our product development department all started out on the production floor mm-hmm. um which is really cool that we're able to kind of you know grow our skill set um and kind of be you know have some of those construction um techniques and kind of the kind of the ethos of mystery ranch like kind of ingrained in us on the production floor. And then as we kind of grow into some of our other positions, like, you know, you have that background, um, you know, which is really cool for, you know, a company like us because, you know, I build all of my own prototypes, um, which is not necessarily the case for, you know, um, other brands, not just in um, the hunting space, but also outdoor, like there's the majority of the designers don't really build prototypes. They kind of draw pictures um, then ship them off, um, and then kind of have prototypes made. And then they're, they're having a communication with their factory, um, based on that. But, you know, with the background of us, you know, working on the production floor, building our own product, um, you know, every, every product that you see on the shelf is something that I, I, or one of my, um, colleagues has stitched together themselves at one point. So how does that work? So when you guys are like a new employee applies to work at mystery ranch, say like, um, a guy like myself say I want a job at Mystery Ranch. And now, like, I've never sewn anything. So is that a prerequisite? How does that work? Uh, no, it's not. Um, it's kind of interesting. And, you know, to see, you know, even people that we've hired for, you know, marketing or, you know, kind of more of our business type stuff or operations, um, everybody gets trained on a sewing machine. Oh yeah. Um, you know, it kind of puts this this you know philosophy first that like we build gear first and then we we sell it, or you know, kind of the primary objective of what we're trying to do is like build great gear, um, and then everything else is kind of downstream of that. Um, so yeah, I didn't I didn't really have a mind for sewing. I like building stuff before I started working at Mister Ranch, but I never really like ran a sewing machine. Um, and you know, it's kind of like first day you get there, you, you know, you kind of check in and then you get dropped off at the sewing trainer. And then, you know, for the next week or two, you're going 
they're putting you through their paces as far as, you know, learn how to run a sewing machine, kind of understanding different operations, learn how to stuff foam. Um, yeah. So you kind of learn how to build backpacks on the ground up, even if your position doesn't involve building backpacks at all. You know, that, that's a, that's a good ethos to have because I mean, it's like anything, right. It doesn't matter what your background is. If you have experience in the, the actual building process, it, it's going to make you that much better uh, regardless where you are and what you're doing. Cool. Yeah, for sure. So you've been, uh, you've been in product development for eight years now, you're saying what kind of changes now, obviously, like we talked about before, I mean, there's a lot of changes that happened in the last two years, especially dating or going back eight years, there's been, you know, it's come leaps and bounds. What sort of major changes have you seen and what obstacles have you guys had to uh, overcome? Anything that you struggled with when you, you know, you kind of moved into a more competitive market in the hunting line? I mean, the way that kind of our product design and product development um, is handled is, you know, we're, we're working kind of in the future right now. Like I'm working on some product for 2023 and some product for 2024 at the moment. Um, so we're, we're kind of ahead of the game. So like uh, when it comes to product development, like, you know, we're, we're really working hard, you know, now for things that come out in the future. Um, so, you know, I might've been in product development for eight years, but we've only been um, selling stuff in the retail space, um, you know, for six. So right. there's a couple of years there, there where I was kind of, you know, honing the craft in a way. Um, before any of my product actually started hitting shelves. Gotcha. Um, so there, there's a little bit of, you know, kind of lead time there where, you know, you get to kind of work out some of those kinks. And, you know, obviously when I was <laughs> first put into that product development role, um, you know, the things that I was making first off weren't, weren't perfect. Um, yeah. You know, and, you know, not that I think that anything that I, I have come out with it's perfect, but like, I feel like any, every generation of product, you get closer and closer to the mark. Um, you know, and I think one of the things to like point out, um, you know, as far as like kind of how to follow it along from like a, a product perspective is if you look at our framing technology, um, boy, when I started there, we were, um, still working on the nice frame system, um, which I want to say that the Gleason's cobbled that thing together, um, in the early two thousands, you know, we ran with that thing for, you know, a, a decade itself. And then, then we started trying to work in, you know, like, Hey, we need a lighter carrying frame with, that's a little bit taller that works, you know, to satisfy the needs of the hunter a little bit. Um, and that produced the guide light frame. And then, you know, after a few years of that product being on the market, I had a chance to come back and then produce the guide light MT frame, which is, you know, yet another improvement based on um, those frames that came before it. Um, So I think that's one of the coolest things about, you know, working for the same company for so long in product development specifically is like, not only do you get to work on cool product, but, you know, you kind of get to work on multiple generations of product and keep improving, keep improving. Yeah. How long does it, like you said, you're working on project products that are coming out, you know, maybe 2024. Uh, are all your are all your packs like when you guys come up with a new pack you know say like the pop-up which uh you know we can get into a little bit later but are they vetted in-house with you guys before you put them out to the public yeah um you know like i said i, I do build all of my own prototypes so you know when i'm developing a new framing system um generally what i'll do is i'll kind of s- stitch something together and since we're right here in bozeman the mountains are right out our back door um i'll stitch something together i'll throw it on my back go go run up the hill go out for a hike or a hunt um depending on the season and then you know i'll come back i'll tear it apart i'll kind of break it down and oh, you know yeah. figure out if there's any issues how i can fix those you know and that's kind of how we um try to come up with the best product possible 
you know, in that feedback loop is really important how it's so tight, you know, because, because I am sewing and testing um, the product that we're not sending it out, waiting for the factory to respond, um, you know, and then trying to give it to testers, you know, so there is a really tight feedback loop. And then once I get to a point where I'm comfortable, then I'll put it on, you know, other people internally or ambassadors, and then, you know, try to get as much feedback as we can before we you know, kind of put the, the final stamp on it and put it to market. Yeah, cool. I, that definitely helps uh, uh, with you being a hunter. You get to you get to get out and test it first, eh? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a pretty cool gig, especially yeah. when it comes to September. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I you know it's funny when uh, I talk to guys like yourself in, in the industry, and I've heard guys say before, you know, it's hard to believe that I'm actually getting paid to do this. Pretty cool. Yeah. You know, myself, I'm not, I'm not an easy guy on packs. You know, uh, if I get two years out of pack, I'm pretty stoked. And one of the things I was skeptical about when I was looking into mystery ranch was, um, how light they were. And like my initial response was that I kind of correlated the, the weight of the pack with the integrity of the pack. Do you find that is kind of like a common perception with your packs? Cause I, you know, I'm not the only, when I asked about other guys, you know, what they thought of this pack and I said, well, I've never used them, but they're pretty light and I don't know how durable they're going to be. Do you guys, you come across that lots? Yeah. I think that's probably one of, um, one of my biggest challenges is kind of finding that balance between, um, weight and durability. Um, because if, if you think about it, like the amount of material that goes into something is directly impacts how heavy it is. Right. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, and the more, the more material or the more weight you add to something in a way you can make it more durable. Like you can add more reinforcement here. Um, you could use heavier, stronger materials in some other locations. Um, you know, and then ultimately, you know, you have something more akin to our nice frame, which, you know, that system before you put a bag on it, if I remember correctly, was like six and a half, seven, seven pounds. Um, and that's before you even put a backpack on it. Um, which especially in today's, you know, hunting climate, that's just untenable. Um, you know, and we're trying to get, I'm trying to get my frame, the frame and harnessing weight down to about three pounds, um, or lighter if I I can get there. Um, and yeah, it's definitely a challenge, like trying to figure out like, okay, how much framing is necessary because it needs to be extremely rigid, but it also needs to, to flex with you when you walk or when you're carrying a load. Um, but at the same time, yeah, you have to maintain that durability. So, um, you know, a lot of that comes from, you know, the background and the years and years that um, Dana has been building backpacks, like the construction techniques that he's, he's developed and taught to us, you know, are, are what builds a really durable backpack. Um, and then kind of, you know, in, in some of these new products, we're, we're using very strategic, very, um, very targeted forms of reinforcement um, and then kind of stripping away you know, materials and other things that aren't needed. Cool. It's funny when you listen to you talk about that, because especially when you mentioned the weight there, and I look at my father-in-law's old backpacks. He was a, a big backcountry hunter. They used to hunt horsebacks and do all this stuff. And he shot, um, you know, everything there is to shoot in, in BC. And it's funny, you look at his old backpack and one of them's made out of wood. It's pretty funny. And the thing weighs about, oh man, I don't know. It's got to be close to 20 pounds. That thing. Yeah, <laughs> we, we actually have a pretty impressive um, kind of archive of backpacks, too. Um, yeah. You know, things dating back to, you know, the turn of the century, um, yeah. you know, steel frame, leather, um, canvas, like actually some pretty ingenious designs, especially for what they were working with. Um, you know, in material technologies just come so far. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, yeah, we're still kind of using actually very similar methods of, you know, stitching 
um, materials together to create, you know, bags and um, other methods to, to create framing technologies. Um, but the material itself has come so far, you know, where, where they're using steel, we're using carbon. Um, you know, where they're using canvas, we're using, you know, us specifically, we're using um, like 500 and 330 denier quarter and nylons, which, you know, compared to your run of the mill, you know, canvas is just light years ahead. Um, yeah. And far as um, the strength to weight ratio. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's pretty cool. I tried that pack on and it's, uh, <laughs> it's funny because I there's pictures of him when he's carrying like uh, caribou and sheep out in that particular pack down the mountain and it's funny what the fuck man how like yeah there's definitely something to be said about a tougher generation that's for sure oh yeah yeah definitely so now you guys you build packs for both men men and women and um obviously you know women they got a different shape than men can we talk about you know maybe about the difference in what goes into like the pack making for someone you know uh with a rack um you know and i'm not talking about like an antler rack yeah um yeah, it's, it's definitely challenging. Um, you know, and a lot of our, like I said, a lot of our background is from military. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, hunters spe- specifically are male um, in the way that men like to carry their shoulder straps. You know, if, if we're talking about um, the upper body specifically, um, a lot of men like to carry their shoulder straps on top of their chest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially like the military customers, they want to carry their shoulder pads on top of their plate carrier. Yeah, like um, my, the, my, my chest is, you know, it's as tight as you can get them together. And I, I just prefer it that way. And I know a lot of guys do, but one of the reasons that you like doing that, um, is there's a ton of nerves that collect kind of in your armpit. Um, so if your shoulder pads are starting to slip into your armpit area, you're actually cutting off a lot of those, um, nerves and feelings, um, mm. to even all the way down to your fingertips, um, which a is horrendously uncomfortable and B is actually like pretty dangerous if you're um doing that for a long time yeah so men prefer to carry their shoulder straps on top of their chest for that reason um the challenge with women is because of their breasts it wants to push their shoulder straps directly into that armpit area Uh um so one of the things that we do to kind of combat that is um the women's shoulder pad have a very different shape to them um they have a little bit more aggressive curve around the neckline um to come you know closer over the top of their collarbone and then they'll jut out um a little bit quicker um down towards the bottom of the shoulder pad and it actually tapers to a smaller um a smaller profile um and again that's to kind of get around that nerve cluster that kind of hangs out in the armpit um as well as allowing for you know the different anatomical features of females yeah that was one of my questions is because i look at the pack i have for my wife and and the pack I have, you know, for me or for any other guy that that's using the pack, you can tell there's quite a bit of difference. And I was just curious of, you know, um, what the challenges are, obviously, of, of designing packs for both men and women. Because now, especially, uh, you're definitely seeing a lot more women uh, take part in, like, the you know, doing the backcountry stuff. So Yeah, well, it's, it's been a huge movement, um, yeah. you know, in the hunting space, too. Like, if you look at, you know, companies like Sika, First Light, you know, all the all the apparel brands they're moving into that women's space as well. Um, you know, if you think five, 10 years back, like, yeah, there's good gear available for men, but there's nothing that fit women. Um, you know, and I think that's something that's been really cool to, you know, to work and be a part of, you know, over the last few years is like, Hey, how can we really satisfy that whole, you know, over 50% of the population that, um, you know, might want to get out into the woods, but they just don't have the gear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely, you know, like, 
in my situation, it's not easy to get my wife, uh, my wife out with me doing stuff like that. But if you can make her comfortable, it, uh, it definitely makes it a lot easier. That's for sure. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't know about you, but definitely as I was a kid, my dad was taking us out hunting, you know, his blue jeans and, you know, cheap boots and that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and if it got cold or you got wet, like life was tough. Um, yeah. You know, so like the advances in hunting gear have not only made, you know, made things more accessible, but like, it's definitely more tolerable. Um, you know, the, the better that we can serve the customer, you know, both men and women, um, you know, the longer they're going to be able to stay out there, the, the further they're going to be able to go, um, you know, and the larger loads they are going to be able to carry both comfortably and safely. You know, I find with my, I got three young kids and I take them up, I drag them out all the time and they're always complaining that they're, that they're wet or, or not wet, but they're, you know, their gear is uncomfortable or it's too hot, it's too cold. I'm looking at them, you know, they got a Sitka jacket on and these nice pants and good boots. And I remember being drug out and I'm wearing runners and jeans and a, you know, a hoodie that's cotton that's soaking wet. And, you know. Well, it's interesting too. Cause like, I feel like our generation, um, really got, really got the shaft, um, because our, you know, our, um, pre preceding generations, a lot of their like, you know, jackets and stuff they were wearing were wool. Yeah. You know, they didn't have, they didn't use the prevalence of cotton or, you know, these other textiles. And then our generation was like, everything was cotton. Exactly. Everything was cotton. Yeah. We didn't have yeah. wool. And you now you look at the next generation, they got synthetics and merino wool and everything. And yeah, we're kind of like this you know, got stuck in the middle. That's funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, getting back to packs, like um, I think one of the biggest challenges for us and again, kind of like, one of our design philosophies is we start with um, trying to fit the user first. Um, and that's one of the biggest challenges with um, framing and harnessing is the integration between the user and the backpack. You know, there's a lot of companies out there, you know, a lot of them in the outdoor space, um, but some in the hunting space as well that build a beautiful bag. Um, but when it comes to the framing, it's just kind of, you know, it falls short of, you know, that really high demand for comfort and load bearing. Yeah. Um, and sure. our, our design philosophy, you know, it starts with the user, then to the, the harnessing and the frame and then the, the bag, the bags. I don't want to say uh, an afterthought or secondary, but, um, you know, we definitely put a big emphasis on, um, you know, creating a really comfortable frame and integrating that into the human form, uh, which is it's a big challenge. You know, um, you know, we covered, you know, harnessing or shoulder pads and the shape for men and women. A little bit um but you know a lot of the challenges comes to the shape of the spine the spine isn't a straight line so you have to figure out you know how do you take your framing elements and things that want to be straight you know like carbon rods or um you know fiberglass or whatever um you know and how do you make that contour the the shape of the spine and not only to the shape of the spine but everybody is a di has a different torso length yeah, so that exactly. curvature of the spine um you know it it doesn't exist the same, you know, magnitude or scale for every, every two people. So. Um, yeah, well, exactly. I remember when I went into the store to buy, uh, when I was looking at your packs and I mean, I'm six foot and I'm 195 pounds. The first pack I bought, it was the, oh man, the Metcalf pack. I didn't realize, you know, just the fitting procedure. So I'm trying these packs on and I have, I've got a high, I've got high hip bones, right? So my, pack sits up pretty high in my waist and when you get up high in my waist it's only about 32 33 inches so i could almost fit into a small medium but i prefer the medium large just because of my chest just to, yeah. to get over my chest but what the nice thing is with the mystery ranch packs is is how you can kind of custom fit them to fit your torso length 
your chest size, your waist and all that stuff. So, yeah. And we, we do that through, um, like the use of that telescoping yoke system. Um, and you know, so like you place the lumbar pad kind of in the same spot on every user, no matter how tall they are, that lumbar pad always sits, you know, in that arc that is, mm-hmm. you know, above your pelvis right in the lumbar. Um, and then you adjust your yoke height based on where the curvature of your shoulders are. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and obviously there's some differences between like waist belt length, um, you know, and the length of shoulder pads and that sort of thing. But when it comes to just fitting the lumbar and the, the shoulder curve, you can fit 90% of users with one frame. Yeah. Right. And, and one thing I find too, is, um, you know, just, it's funny, like I, I got friends and I, and I, I take them out hunting and I, I, you know, I kind of take out new hunters and stuff and I see them with these packs and I, right away, I just, my first thing is, is how bad that pack is fitting on their shoulders. You know, they're, they've got gaps up at the top between like, where their, uh, their load straps are, you know, you can put three fingers in there. It's not tight to their chest when they're sitting. A lot of guys, uh, you know, they'll, they'll put a pack on the store and they'll f- figure it feels good. They'll take it home. They'll put it down and they won't, they won't take it out again before they go hunting. You know what I mean? I, I kind of tell everyone like, listen, when you get home, put what your anticipated weight as you think in that pack, kind of fill it how you want it and then put it on, make your adjustments at home. Because I mean, you know, there's nothing worse than struggling with it when you're out, you know, when you're out hunting and you, you, you're wasting time filling with your pack when you could be glassing for something that you're looking for. So, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no doubt. And I'm, I'm the same way. Like everybody that I go out with, like if their pack's not adjusted, right. I stop them right there at the trailhead and fix them up. Um, you know, one of the interesting things too, especially when it comes to like heavier loads, you know, if you, you know, get a, a bull or a buck on the ground, um, and you're trying to pack that thing out, like one of the like little pro tips that I have for people is like, sometimes it makes sense to shorten your yoke up like a half inch. Um, yeah. cause inevitably like things are going to settle when you get like a really heavy load in there. Yeah. Um, so if you've got like a good fit in a normal, like normal hunting situation where you're, you know, put miles on, but you don't have much weight in your backpack. Like it, it helps to, to have it, you know, fit for that use case. And then sometimes, you know, when you go really heavy, um, things will settle, they'll sag a little bit and you can actually shorten your yoke up, yeah. um, you know, and, and it fits that much better. Um, yeah, yeah definitely. But, yeah. That, that's why I kind of tell it, you know, one of the first things I, I kind of stress to people is like, man, throw some weight in there and like, just, just put it on and like, just walk around with it bit for a bit with that weight in there, like shuffle it back and forth. Because when you're out hunting, man, things are moving side to side. And you know, if it, if your pack doesn't fit properly, you're going to be in a world of hurt. Like you're going to make, it's going to make for a miserable, miserable trip. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I always use like the example of boots. Like you never grab a new pair of boots off the shelf, throw them on and expect to do a 20 mile day and not have your feet torn up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You'd hope you don't, but I, yeah. I, I know stories. I, it's funny. I, I got a buddy, he's new to hunting and this was a couple of years ago. This is like three years ago. So I, I took him out. I'm like, Hey, listen, you need to go buy. He wanted to get the backpack. So I say, you need to go, you don't have to go out and buy, you don't got to go and spend all this money, but just buy a good set of boots, buy a decent pack. Uh, I got some optics you can use. And he's a bigger guy. He's like six, three. So some of my stuff he just couldn't use, but so he goes out, buys the boots. And I said, listen, buy the boots, walk around them, go, for, you know, go for what, wear them around the house, wear them in your backyard. Don't worry about getting them dirty. Cause if you're lucky, they're going to be covered in blood anyway. So, um, told him to do all these things. He didn't do any of them. We get out there. He four hours into the trip, back of his heels are just torn off his, off his feet. 
And that was the last trip he had in the backcountry. That was it. He hung everything yeah. up and he has gone out. And I was like, well, man, I told you. Well, and, and it, it sucks that like people have that experience. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, frankly, we've all been there. And one of the reasons why, like, I'm kind of passionate about, you know, building a really good fitting pack is like, I've been there. I've been out in the backcountry with a crappy backpack. And, you know, it's like, you just, you just want to give up. Oh man. You know, and if you break your boots in and, you know, our packs don't require a breaking period, but it's just like, it's that fitment that like, yeah. if you get it fitted properly, like you can go all day and you don't even notice it's there. Oh yeah. And, and that's one thing uh, I noticed right away with the, um, with the mystery ranch pack is just, you know, how comfortable they were. Cause I ran before I ran, uh, I was running the Everstock pack and they're a good pack, really tough, but they just weren't comfortable. Like, and they, they're, you know, they don't have the material that you guys do. So, you know, you get in a little bit of rain, you got to stop, you got to take your pack off. You got to put a rain cover on it. You're walking 15 minutes and then, okay, stops raining. You want to take that rain pack off because it's noisy and, you know, it's just, yeah. And then I started using your packs and right away, as soon as I, um, as soon as I took it out, my first trip, I was like, man, this pack, it's just so light. And it's, I, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I, had all my gear and it wore around the backyard. You know, I, I did all that stuff with it. I even went, you know, I hiked up a hill with the exact gear I was taking. So I had it, it was dialed into exactly how I needed it, but still I'm throughout the process of the hunt. It, it was just, uh, it was, it was like, I was wearing nothing. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I always kind of think that's like, that's the mark of like really good quality gear. Um, mm-hmm. not just packs, but gear in general is like, you don't notice it. Oh yeah, man. For sure. If you notice that you're, your boots are uncomfortable or your pack doesn't fit right. Or, you know, if you're noticing your equipment, like that's kind of a bad sign. If you like wear a backpack all day or a pair of boots or, you know, whatever, you know, you go out and you hunt, you come back and you're like, how's your backpack? And you're like, you know what? I didn't even notice it. Yeah. You know, that to me, that's the mark of like, that's a job well done. Well, exactly. And, you know, and that's what I tell everybody at the beginning. I say, you know, don't buy three items when you're just going to buy one at the end. I'm like, listen, obviously you're not going to be able to no, nobody can go I mean, most people they can't go out and they can't go out and buy the best you know they can't go out and buy a pair of six hundred dollar boots they can't go spend eight hundred dollars on a pack two thousand dollars on optics i get that first thing this year i'm going to buy a set of, of good boots i'm going to buy a good good puffy jack okay next year um say you're going to buy a good backpack okay but if you're going to buy a backpack don't buy a mid-level backpack like buy a great backpack and then that's done that's off your checklist you're good like my i myself i a pack only lasts me maybe two years if i'm lucky but i am i'm pretty hard on myself and i hunt a lot so most guys aren't gonna aren't gonna be in that situation but you know for the average hunter who's just going out in the weekends or or going out on a a three-day trip or a five-day trip maybe once or twice a year one of these packs is going to last you a long time and so if you spend that little if you it's it's an investment if you invest a little bit now it's going to be rewarding the whole process. You know, you're going to have it for 10 years. Yeah, totally. I mean, one of the things that, and this is just kind of like a personal gripe is like people are willing to spend an ungodly amount of money on a rifle, Oh yeah, like a ridiculous amount of money on a rifle. But then when it comes to a backpack, it's like, whoa, $500. It's like, listen, you just spent, you know, five grand on a rifle on a custom rifle that you're hopefully only going to shoot once. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you know, and, you can get into the longer range discussion if you want, but like, you know, the majority of the time you're actually going to be on your feet. You're going to be hiking, yep. you know? So like, let's focus on getting into position and then you can worry about the shot. Yeah. If you're, if you're out shooting your rifle more than once or twice on a hunting trip, then you're doing something wrong. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Or you're not in the right area and you're just bored. 
yeah yeah maybe, maybe you're just you're in a completely wrong area and you're just yeah you're out of things to do especially with rifles i mean you know i, I get i get it you know you have like a gunworks and it's cool and it's like it's like having a, a a fancy car right but i mean like you can go and buy a savage right out of the box and it's gonna be it's gonna be deadly so you don't have to spend all that money put that put that money towards other things it's, it's funny i had a guy um he came over and he bought he bought some swag off me and uh, he's seen the Garmin device I have and uh, we started talking about mapping and, and GPS and all that stuff. And I said, I asked him what he, what he used for, you know, um, if he had an inReach or if you, if he's running a GPS and like a spot messenger and he's like, Oh, I don't have anything. I have my cell phone. I'm like, what happens when you run a cell service? He's like, Oh, that happens all the time, but I don't know. I'm like, you might want to invest in something that's going to save your life. Go spend a little bit of money and yeah, maybe don't buy this clo- clothing off me, go down and buy GPS or, you know what I mean? Like prioritize yeah. what you're doing here, bud. Well, we, we already kind of touched on it. Like, you know, if you were to take out a new hunter and they're like, well, what do I need to buy? It's like boots in a backpack. Yeah. You know, and well, we're not in the business of building boots. So yeah. <laughs> the backpack is definitely um definitely the most important piece of equipment from our perspective yeah no doubt um a couple more things here before i let you go i kind of just want to talk about uh your pop-up tent or your I means not your pop-up tent your pop-up line now yeah. i just bought this for my kid and uh, i was actually i was looking for a pop-up 38 for myself but they're pretty popular and i couldn't find one so i end up going with the uh with uh the plinter pack now mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I noticed right away was just um, was just a little bit. I mean, they're both three zipper packs, not like compared to the other pack I have. I love that three zipper pack that you guys came up with. That's just awesome. I don't know how long how long have you guys had that out? Boy, we've we've been building at least a version of that um, probably twenty years. Oh, really? Or yeah, maybe I... a little bit under, but like you know, it's it's certainly evolved. Um, if you look at the, the first one that, uh, went into production, it's, it's kind of a far cry from where we are now. Um, but yeah, that, that design has been around for a minute. Um, and, you know, especially, you know, when it comes to, well, actually all of our lines really, um, that three zip has really become, um, really iconic for us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's awesome because the other mystery, the other pack I have, it, it doesn't have that. It's just got the string top and it's got the two, um, side zippers to get access to but that three yeah. zip is that's the first time i've seen it or first time I, I had any experience with it and i was like man this is awesome yeah. yeah the access on that thing is it's pretty incredible um you know to be able to use it as a top loader but if you if you have a piece of gear at the bottom that you need to get to um to be able to run that zipper all the way down um is really handy you know and it, as you can kind of see like looking at our line we tend to make those three zip styles um you know kind of on the smaller end of the size range you know because when it comes to you know big backcountry packs like you can't beat a top loader um yeah you know you don't have the weight penalty of a lot of zipper and a lot of sliders um you know because those things are pretty dense and they they carry some weight to them um but yeah when it comes to you know some of the smaller like day hunting size you know, products like that three zip is pretty killer. At least from my perspective, that's the pack that I go to um, probably the most during um, our rifle season um, here in Montana, which starts, you know, late October. Um, So it's already getting cold. Um, So, you know, day hunting out of that thing, you know, there's plenty of room for a kill kit, for your layers, for food, for water, Um, you know, but there are guys, you know, in warmer climbs or in bow season that can jam their whole bivy setup, you know, into something that size. Um, and they love that thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to, it. but, uh, back to the pop-up tent. Now, when I'm looking at these two packs, I'm looking at them right now. And like, 
they're a little different. The frame on the pop-up tent is, it's pretty neat how it works. And you kind of just explain, well, first of all, were you involved in the, the divi- uh, design of this, this uh, pack? Yeah. Um, that was kind of my brainchild. Oh, really? Um, oh. Yeah. So well, that's good. we're was, talking about it. Yeah. That's kind of an interesting story. Cause um, it definitely took some pitching to like have that concept take hold. Cause it's a little out there. Um you know, but I was, I was out archery antelope hunting and you spent a lot of time on your hands and knees, you know, crouching behind like the tiniest twig or piece of sagebrush that you can find. Cause there isn't much out there. Um, you know, and I was using one of our, our larger hunting frames and like that thing was kept hitting me in the back of the head. It was really restrictive, um, from, you know, from a moving perspective. So I was like, man, if I just had a smaller frame, um, you know, that'd be so much more comfortable. But then when you get something on the ground, it's like, then you want to have those load lifters, you know, yeah. above your shoulders, you want it to have, you know, sit in that really comfortable position. I was like, so what you need is something collapsible. Um, you know, and I'm telling this to like my product manager and they're kind of like, yeah, I don't know. It sounds kind of weird. Um, and this is one of the things that I love working for, um, for Dana Gleason for is I go into his office and I pitch to them and he's like, hell yeah, man, we're doing it. Oh, nice. Um, so yeah, we, uh, got the go ahead for that. Um, and it's also kind of built on the platform, uh, in kind of design, um, ethos of, you know, some of our wildland firefighting packs. Um, it's, it has the same kind of frame platform as, um, the old initial attack frame. Um, if any wildland, wildland firefighters are listening, that's kind of what it's built off of. Um, and, you know, the same thought concept, you know, kind of was going into it is like, you know, wildland firefighters are digging line, they're bent over all the time. Um, they're kind of in that low position. Um, often that's why they like a shorter frame and to keep their, their weight down around their hips as it takes less effort to bend over and then stand back up. Oh yeah. And, you know, again, I was like, man, that's kind of a similar concept to what happens out there antelope hunting. You know, you're bent over all the time. You're running around trying to hide behind stuff. Um, you know, and then, kind of built out that idea, got, got the approval from management to like work on it. Um, you know, and then, you know, we, that hit the market and I mean, outside of our hardcore, like backpack hunters, I think that thing is really taken over the lion's share of all of our day hunting business. Yeah, man. Well, like I bought it for my, my son. Um, and I wanted to buy him a good pack. I'm not going to buy him, a, you know, I'm not going to go buy him a brand new pack every year. So I went and, uh, I wanted a mystery ranch because as he grows, I can kind of, you know, I can adjust a little bit to, to fit him. Um, you know, this past, this pack will most likely last until, well, depending on how big he gets, but probably till he's like 15 or 16. So I wanted to get him a good one. And then I came across this one and it's the pop-up 28 now. And I, I got it home and I started looking at it. Um, and I had no idea about, um, this system until I brought it home and I started looking at it and I was like, man, this thing is, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Maybe, maybe, uh, can you just explain it real quickly for the listeners? Just, uh, you know, kind of what the difference is between that and, and the older style, or I guess the, not the older style, but the style that's on the other packs. Yeah, definitely. Um, so our, our guide light system, um, it's a wider frame. It's about 12 and a half inches wide. Um, and then the, the most of the frame kind of ends at about what would be about shoulder height for most people, um, kind of around that 20 inch mark. Um, but then it's got two more stays that, that reach up an, an additional four inches to give you a better load lifter height, um, which that load lifter height is really important for transferring the, the load on your shoulder pads from the top of your shoulder to your chest. 
Um, it really sucks that load um, into your body instead of like kind of resting on your traps or on top of your shoulders, um, which, you know, if you look at backpacking bags, if you look at, um, you know, a lot of hunting products, that sort of thing, like that's the preferred way to carry, carry heavy loads. Um, now the pop-up system is a very narrow profile um, and it has a collapsible frame, which is really short. So you don't have those frame stays, um, you know, impeding your movement either laterally or um, behind your head or behind your shoulders um, while you're hunting, but you have the capability of extending the frame, um, you know, after you make a kill, or if you're going on a longer hike, um, you can extend that frame to that position up over your shoulders. Um, and then you have that optimal load lifter angle for, for those heavy loads or longer distance, um, longer distance hikes. It's a, uh, it's a pretty sick setup. And like I said, I, I was looking for the, um, the bigger one, but, uh, it must be popular cause I couldn't find them anywhere, but, uh, I, I went with the plinther and I'm pretty glad I did because it, uh, it looks like it's a, a pretty yeah and initially to use it initially with the pop-up we tried um my my initial thought was to do like a tent pole style system oh yeah um so the the frame itself collapsed in half um and then you would erect it and it would you know kind of snap together like a tent pole um but then for this current generation we moved to um a trekking pole system um which gives you that adjustability and so like you said it's great for kids um that have some growing to do because you know, you're not buying them a pack every year, you know, and especially when they're small, like you're not buying them a little Snoopy bag. Um, you know, they have like a legit piece of hunting gear that yeah, will yeah. grow with them. You know, the, the yoke telescopes, the frame for kids, for, um, for women, women, are, it's really popular with our female customers too. Um, because, you know, because there aren't a lot of different frame heights built out for, um, different torso lengths. Uh, you have that really customizable and adjustable fitment. Pretty awesome, man. Well, you know, uh, I think we're going to get close to wrapping this up here. I just wanted to, uh, um, you know, thanks again for, for hopping on, but before you go, I kind of just want to talk about a little bit about hunting. How was your, uh, how was your fall hunting season? Where you, did you get a chance to go out? I did. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> we had a, had a son, um, this fall. Um, my one request to my wife was to not have a kid during archery season, <laughs> And we went to the hospital on opening day of um, elk season. So, <laughs> uh, so I got out once or twice, you know, oh, taking yeah. the bow out, but you know, didn't really have high hopes or you know, it's just and, and you know, when you got a new kid at home, it's just you want to spend as much time as you can with them, but then the occasional day out is just feels nice to get some fresh air. Um, but then, uh, you know, during rifle season, um, went out with a few really close friends. You know, not nothing like no big trips or anything, just you know, kind of day hunting from home, um, was fortunate enough to shoot a bull, um, the second day of the season, it's kind of a group effort there. And, you know, I kind of hunted with the same group of guys, you know, all season and, you know, we shot something pretty much every weekend. So, um, that's good. Yeah. It was, yeah. So, you know, I wasn't really, uh, didn't, wasn't super optimistic for getting out and, you know, being too lucky this year, but no, you, you gotta, you gotta remember, you got a new hunting buddy coming up. So I know, well, it's funny. Uh, I was texting my, my hunting friends this morning. Um, I had the baby monitor on and I swear to God, he freaking bugled at me oh. <laughs> first thing this morning. I was like, well, that was a bugle more yeah. specifically. That was a locator. Yeah. My kids, my kids throwing bugle calls out already from the crib. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, no it was good. It was good, man. I'm, I'm, so happy we got out and you know the way that things happen was like you know i love getting out there and you know doing backpack hunts especially during september like the weather's just 
gorgeous, you know, elk are talking, there's nothing like it, but, mm. um, you know, this year it kind of felt a little bit more, a little more social in a way. Yeah. Um, you know, I know a lot of people don't really feel like hunting's necessarily a, a social thing, at least the activity of hunting. Um, you know, I mean, everybody likes to come back and tell their hunting stories and whatnot, but, um, yeah, it was, it was kind of a cool, cool experience to have, you know, the hunt be a little bit more of like a social, um, thing, getting, getting to know new friends, getting closer to old friends. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was for kind sure, of a cool season. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I kind of think that's maybe something that that's lost because I remember when I used to hunt with my go hunt with my dad, that's all it was. That's all hunting really was. It was about, you know, I hate to say it, but it was about dads getting a chance to take the kids out, get away from mama for, you know, mom's wives for a little bit. So, yeah, no um, doubt. I, you know, and I, I think there's such a huge, there's a huge emphasis and maybe it's just kind of the, the folks in the hunting industry and like kind of what's sexy and what's cool is like getting out in these big, you know, long range, long-term, you know, backpack hunts, you know, usually with a bow and don't get me wrong. Like, I love that. Like <laughs> I live for that, but um, yeah, it was just, it was really cool to, you know, to kind of have like a different feel for this year. And it just felt, um, I don't know, a little bit more like cathartic in a way. Yeah, no doubt. No, I know exactly. That's why I love uh, the spring turkey hunting is because it's kind of, you know, it kind of follows that same guideline, you know, everybody gets together and it's, you know, everybody goes out in the morning, but you know, um, I mean, you can hunt turkeys all day, but it sucks to do it. So you prefer not to, and you know, you just, you get that camaraderie of camp life or, you know, yeah. the weekend well, and, and you know, especially this year too, like, you know, with COVID and, you know, everybody yeah, kind man. of being locked in their house and yeah. trade shows being shut down and, you know, some archery leagues are even getting canceled and it's like, man, you know, to be able to like go out and hunt with some people that you don't get to interact with on a daily basis is just yeah. like, it felt good, man. Yeah, no, no doubt too. And it's cool. You got, uh, you got a son coming up and you're going to get him to take him out and that my son, he's, uh, he just turned 10 this year. And up here, we get to, uh, when you're 10, you get to go and take your, your, uh, your core, which is you get your hunting license. So he's, he's more than ecstatic about it. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. And I look forward to it. Um, <laughs> uh, this year is hunting with one of my good friends and he's got a kid that's 14. So he's, you know, he's running around with us and, you know, we're kind of showing him the ropes and then, yeah, you know, we're kind of putting it on him that it's like, Hey man, like a few years, you're going to have your own little apprentice to train up. Yeah. Um, you know, so he, he was pretty jazzed about that. And, you know, he's just a good kid, you yeah, know, it, no doubt. and again, like that's the fun part of like, oh, you yeah, know, hunt, that style yeah. of hunting is like, you know, you're not out there just for yourself and trying to fill your tag. You're out there with, you know, your buddy and their kids and they're, you know, everybody's trying to, you know, fill the freezer, you know, and it's kind of a, a group effort. It's fun. Lots of laughs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's kind of what I was getting at with, you know, I remember going uh, with my dad and with my uncles and, and all that stuff is they didn't look at hunting, you know, and I, I, sometimes I find myself carried away. I get too attached into like um, the results, you know, you gotta, you know, I mean, now just with access roads and, you know, hunting pressure, you gotta, if you want, you know, a, a trophy animal, which I kind of, you know, tend to go after you, you gotta spend a little more time you know in the back country and that takes that ultimately takes you away from you know your your wife your kids it takes you away from home your friends so um when you get those opportunities to spend time um you know hunting and spending time in the outdoors with friends and family and you, you know your kids man it 
it's uh, it's pretty special for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know, I mean, like when you learn a different style of hunting, or you know, get back to a, a style of hunting that you kind of lost touch with, um, you know, like you, you relearn some things, you you understand some new stuff, and you know, just kind of what you're telling me there about like going you know, going in the back country to find a trophy animal. It's like, it, it, I, it, to me, it boils down to time spent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we're kind of hunting one specific, like, you know, piece of property, uh, public land, but like a very, you know, kind of finite amount. Um, you know, we just kept going back to the same spot, you know, week after week. And we ended up shooting my buddy almost, uh, I think it was probably a 270 inch bull. So, you know, it wasn't nice. massive or anything, but it's, you know, it's just time spent in an area. Yeah, like you, you learn a spot, um, you know, and, that's what I, you know, try to remind people now too, especially after this year is like, you don't have to go, you know, 10 miles back and kill yourself trying to, trying to kill a trophy bull. Like those opportunities can be had closer to home. If you just spend the time to get to get to know an area, figure out a herd, you know, kind of, you know, especially during rifle season, figure out what the hunting pressure does to them. Um, you know, and you can, you can get in your spot and kind of figure it out. And, you know, I know lots of guys who, you know, they just have more luck than I do, or, or maybe, you know, it pays and maybe I'm just looking in the wrong spot, but they, you know, they get nice, good size animals five minutes off the path or, or even truck hunting. Like I know my dad, like my dad, for instance, he's just a truck hunter. He, he has no interest in going out into the, like going on hikes and do that. He'll go for a little bit of a walk, but like never, nothing, never even thought of going a kilometer you know for an overnighter in the backcountry and it's funny now because he's you know in these 70s and I, I remember this year and I we're driving around and we're hunting grouse and we had my two sons in there and I'm thinking I'm like because he's he's got truck hunting dialed in like dialed and I know nothing I don't I know very little about it I'm like man I'm gonna have to step up my game here because when I'm 70 I'm probably not gonna want to do the same thing so I gotta have to start taking notes here because the way he he's got it he's got it just dialed in and like I could never do like I you know what I mean like a lot of people think that there's oh you're just driving around truck hunting but you know he's got it dialed in like yeah way better more yeah. way more than I do so it's well fun. and you know there's there's that quote I don't know who said it but like luck is the intersection between um effort and time spent yeah you know, I just kind of like hope that works out for me. Like, you know, when <laughs> yeah. you are in your seventies, it's like, yeah, I've spent a little bit of time in the mountains. Like yeah, the effort, the dues have been paid, you know, on a kind Oh yeah, man. Yeah. That's <laughs> the way I look at it too. Is like, thing. yeah, I've paid more dues than anybody. So yeah, got to pay out sometime. Okay, dude, I'm going to let you go. It's, uh, it's been awesome talking to you. Yeah. You too, Kevin. Okay, man. I'll talk to you later. Ciao. Bye. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in to the Focus Hunting Podcast, coming at you as part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. This episode has been brought to you by Vortex Optics, the best in optics, period. Backroads Maps, never get lost with Backroads Maps. Now, if this is the first time you guys tuning into the show, thank you. Please like, subscribe, click a five-star rating. That helps a lot, and uh, we'll catch you again next time.